0: Hello and welcome to the Education Community Podcast, an exciting new platform brought to you by Bernardo's, the National Children's Charity. Our aim is to produce episodes that will be supporting mental health and wellbeing across a variety of education services within the United Kingdom. We plan to interview a range of professionals in order for us to have a wider understanding of staff wellbeing, trauma, loss and bereavement as we continue to try and navigate through the difficult times faced across the country.
1: Hello everybody, Today, for today's podcast I'm joined by Sarah Hunt, who's undertaken her PhD research at Leicester University on the subject of this health, the mental health and service needs of refugee children and youth. Hi, Sarah. It's really lovely to have you join us.
0: Hi, Marie. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here to uh, share
1: the research with you. Thank you. Hey, things are okay with you? Yes, very well. Thank you. Good. So, can you tell us um, something about your research, please, Sarah?
0: Yes. Yeah. So my research um, is a qualitative inquiry into the mental health and service needs of refugee children and youth in the UK post-migratory context. The emphasis really is on the post-migratory context in terms of how well received uh, refugee children and youth are across services in their new community environments and with that also across education settings. That sounds really interesting. So how did you
1: carry
0: out this research? So I started off with meeting with um, various members of of public health really to see if that there was a a consensus that there was a need for the research in any particular area so I did carry out the research across three UK regions um, in areas that engaged voluntarily with resettlement schemes and government policy and we we met and discussed the the need for the work. We agreed there was need for the work in those specific areas and um, I was introduced to a number of service providers across mental health, education, voluntary organisations and health services as well. Um, And this really did provide a holistic approach but also insight into service challenges experienced amongst service providers responding and in contact with, you know, the needs of refugee families as well. So, with with this, um, I worked closely with voluntary organisations for some months and this really did provide access points to get to know community members to work alongside refugee parents and uh, their children and unaccompanied youths as well as a part of the process, getting to know you really, uh, before we really established what needs were. So this process took just under a year. We started asking for very basic questions like what services helped you when you arrived what helped your child, how were they received in the education environment, how did you think the child felt going to the school every day, and what helped your child to settle. Um, and so we, we really did have some some in-depth insight into the mental health and uh, needs really of parents, children and youth in those areas that we worked in. And a number of priorities came through from this work that were agreed upon I'd say across not just parents and children, but recognised across service providers as well. So we came out with a number of findings. Um, Should I talk you through those?
1: Yeah, it'd be really interesting to hear, particularly about the the perspectives of the education staff. Yes, mm-hmm. so there was a, a consensus
0: really amongst education staff. So when I, when I talk about education staff, I'm referring to teachers school nurses, deputy heads, head teachers and uh, education psychologists as well. And one of the the main priorities was the need for refugee trauma-informed training um, to really understand the context of the needs around what a refugee child might need in that service environment, but really what were their life experiences up to that point. So they really felt that to, to have more insight and build their knowledge base around migration and trauma because for these groups when we when we consider trauma we're considering war related trauma so often multiple trauma events unfortunately pre-flight during and uh, that can result in post-traumatic stress disorder um, depression and anxiety so we consider the context around the life experiences of a refugee child and their parents and then how that potentially translates to their mental health status and the profile of that individual then that you have arrived as a new arrival in your school environment. So really to have those things in mind um, and an awareness was thought to be a key step forward for for educators. With that, there was a concern that some children would be um, classed as the invisible child. So I'll just give you that verbatim. You know, this this was said on repeat, really, we're concerned that these children become the invisible children because of the internalized. They're perhaps not explicitly demonstrating needs. Um, and of course we're, we're dealing with a language barrier. So we really need to be mindful that with a language barrier and with these experiences this child may be dealing with at any one point in time then how can we spot trauma? So this this came out on a regular basis and also with uh, educational psychologists who were perhaps in the school or commissioned to go in and do some other type of work but recognising there were refugee children within that school environment and staff were suggesting that they, they didn't have the knowledge base really to to recognize the need or approach the child to see how best to help mm. um, so I think having the knowledge would perhaps build confidence for the staff to be able to approach the child confidently to be able to provide some support really in the education environment so that's, yeah. that's
1: one of the key outcomes yeah mm, I mean some some people would say, oh, we're, we're, tra- we're a trauma-informed school or and we've done lots of trauma training, but you're talking about specific refugee-focused training, aren't you, in, in this context?
0: Yes, yes, I am. And I, I think this was fairly strong in terms of a theme, uh, the outcome of the work, and it really did stretch beyond um, the education staff there to also mental health specialists, working mm. with children and youth, who also said, we really do need to understand the context the asylum process for example resettlement programs what the population might look like you know in terms of building and responding well with our capacity and resource and another another interesting and a very valuable point that came through were schools were suggesting that when they have a new arrival coming into the school environment if there's already been a referral they're not really aware of that referral process so they're not a part of that they're not they're not aware of it so we talked about joining up of services and not working in silo uh when it comes to responding to the needs of refugee
1: children so Uh, absolutely and that's something that comes up um it well i think things are improving in terms of joined up working in some areas but but there's we still sometimes do work in these silos so i'm not surprised that has come up but it this sounds like it could be a really positive step forward i did work with one school in particular who
0: and so the school and and myself and the children we worked together to produce um, some actions for change and they developed a friendship squad which was really, really important to the group um, in terms of having a role. So they, the uptake was really high. So they had uh, leadership roles within this friendship squad, which would involve being on the playground, you know, during lunch times or break times, and perhaps keeping an eye out to see if there's anybody that seemed to be on their own, maybe perhaps lonely, not to be, needed to be bring into a group or someone that needed to help. So they would take somebody with a need to a teaching, a member of teaching staff. And so really that, that supported them also in developing um, confidence but also they made new friendships throughout this process as well so they developed new friendships. With this they worked on rest of of practice as well so they helped each other solve problems. Mm. So this this was a really nice outcome so the children talked about these saying I help my friend I can solve problems we talk about our problems now and one of the key outcomes was when they went back to lesson after this fulfilling this role for example during the lunchtime period that um, they felt motivated to work and they felt happy about that and one little boy in particular quoted um i i feel happy much more happier and i'm excited to do my work um and that was a result of fulfilling his his lunchtime duty if you like as a friendship squad leader so that That's something that had a really positive outcome. Um, Another important one was to increase cultural awareness as well among the children so how can we have an inclusive cultural diversity you know existence within the school environment and so this particular school um, brought cultural themes into assemblies that the children were involved in co-producing which was uh, something that the children felt needed to happen to to be able to to share their culture amongst their, their peer group um, and and feel comfortable about that as well, and feel secure in that. And another, and I'll, I'll bring this one into the conversation as well. But they the school also brought in to increase opportunities to engage in, in social and sporting activities, a multi-sport um, opportunity during this this recreational break period. And this really did bring into kind of the children's lives more opportunity to socially engage. They talked about developing friendships throughout this as well. They felt great after the sporting experience for going back into lesson. They felt motivated. So you can see with addressing what the needs were, the children were Mm. actually feeling that they were developing their social skills. They were promoting resilience. They were um, confident, they they were motivated to learn. So it was was endless in terms of the, the impact of asking the children what would help them And then implementing that change within the school environment so it's very specific to the school you know it's built around the capacity resource of that particular school and also the pupils at the
1: time so that sounds so powerful Um, to hear the impact upon those children not just in terms of their their confidence self-esteem but then how it links into their learning as well what about after school Sarah activities is that something that you talk to schools and, and parents about? Um, uh. Yes um, so with the the
0: parent groups who shared their perspectives on the on the project when we spoke about what helps your child um, to, to feel a sense of belonging in the community how you know what what came through that was unfortunately there was limited access to some of the school wraparound services um, such as the after school club for example um, and this limited access was was down to um, not being able to financially afford access. And this differed, this this isn't a consistent finding, mm. this differed. Um, and one might say unintended consequence, you know, because schools are doing a fantastic job of making their, their school social structures, you know, inclusive environments. But in, in some instances, uh, refugee parents and parents in asylum, in the asylum process, were unable to gain access to some of those after school activities which felt uh, to them that their their children were feeling excluded um, mm. by that so more psychosocial support or access to i think was something that came through quite strong and uh,
1: you talked about um a girl who was a, you talked to a parent whose child was at home and they she said she was feeling lonely you know after school is, is that right
0: yes yes it is um another finding on the on the project was the, the prevalence really of discrimination, unfortunately. Um, and so often in the, the parks or local parks, you know, where children could go and play after school. So if you consider the child that can't gain access to an after school club, for example, or a community service, then it was it was uncomfortable for some children to go to their local park because there was evidence of discriminatory attitudes and behaviours towards them. So, yes, some, some of the parents spoke about uh, their children. Not having anything to do,
1: you know, unfortunately, and feeling fairly isolated. Mm. And that must impact also on the parents on their their feelings of self, you know, self worth and self esteem to see their children not being able to to access um, the community facilities and school facilities like that.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Mm. And uh, your work also um, involves speaking to older children as well. Um, didn't it? Yes, it did.
0: Yes, um, I worked for a while with a group of unaccompanied youth. We talked around how life was for them when they came to the UK and into their new community environment. Um, and we asked the similar open questions, you know, how, how was life for you when you arrived? What services were you introduced to? What services helped you? How did you feel at that early stage, you know, that transitional stage of early post-migration, when everything's completely new? you know, a new landscape, a new community, new society. And we need to remember, I think, all the time that we consider the needs of refugee and asylum-seeking children and youth is that they're in a completely unfamiliar environment. And so we talked about the transitions across education. So coming to the new environment and starting education here, going to the community college or to the school environment. And there were some really interesting outcomes So what the group did is they spoke about what was, for example, challenging in the education environment and how that could be made better for a new arrival, for somebody else coming in in their shoes in time to come. So the group co-produced a needs-led integration strategy Mm -hmm. and they called that the community champion. And it was a really nice outcome. And the community champion role is, for for them, it's very, very important. The community champion would be a native speaker bridge the language gap,
1: Mm.
0: somebody who themselves had been through the um, migration situation really, um, and also integration in that particular community environment. So they themselves had navigated this community and gone through the same stages as they had been to give them some insight into education, what to expect. So you know, we consider the school environment to be the social structural organisation, What are the social norms within the UK education system? So at least they're equipped to, you know, to go into the education environment with some level of understanding, which will reduce these stresses and reduce the anxiety of the unknowns and also the same with the community. So what services are available to you in the community to really start to socially integrate? So we think these vulnerable groups have lost all support structures when it comes to social support structures. And resources, and so to establish that once more, we need to be introducing people to what's available in the new community environment to start to rebuild these social support structures, to develop peer group relationships and friendships. So we spoke about introducing to the community environment services, and also seeking help. Really important one. Mm. So talking about problems was something that the youth members on the group, in the group, sorry, were not used to doing, and they said, you know, in my home country. I didn't talk about problems. I didn't talk whether I was happy. I didn't talk about if I was sad. But here you have to talk about everything. <laughs> so so you kind of saying, you know. Um, but what was recognised was it's it's actually incredibly useful to to understand that you can talk about how you're feeling and yeah. that there is somebody available for you to do that with when you are ready. Um, and so the group really felt it may it may bring support in earlier if somebody else coming in as a new arrival knew that they could actually engage with talking to somebody about how they felt when they were ready and so to bring down that that barrier there that help seeking barrier was really important to the group to share that with a new a new arrival coming in. So just to go back to the the classroom environment for a moment because I know Mm. that's a a key point for today's discussion is what is it like for a refugee child in the classroom Um, so we've talked about staff being able to identify and spot trauma to have a a more in-depth and broader understanding of migration and uh, and those experiences involved in migration but for the for the children going into the education the classroom environment what's really important are these social norms so the children spoke about not being able to put their hand up not understanding that how to communicate with the teacher and that that was okay to do so so how do i communicate with my teacher what is my role in this classroom environment And so if you consider the classroom environment, some very basic needs need to be considered there. You know, Mm. how I can come and go in my classroom environment. And so this was all part and parcel really of an introduction to the UK education system. (laughs) Was what can I expect? What's expected of me? You know, and if at all possible, could there be a buddy system within the school? So some schools I worked with did have this um, with a high population of of refugee children. they were able to assign a buddy, so somebody who'd been in that position before to introduce them to the school environment. And also for those with limited language, it would be an interpreter or interpretation service. Resources such as this differ, of course, from school to school and depending on their population and and budget required, you know, everything else. So it is dependent on each school, um, but certainly what works well is a buddy system upon arrival. And for this particular group, as a part of an integration strategy is an induction
1: into UK education. Yeah, because I think, you know, if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of these young people, to not have your family, to not have any of those, like you said, I mean, that's what we're talking about, isn't it, Sarah? We're talking about yes. not having family members with you. Yes. Many of these young people uh, or, or any other social sort of structures. You know, what, do they know where to go for that for help?
0: Uh, Well, one uh, one of the uh, the outcomes of the project actually across all services including education was a need to get to know our service partners better. There was a a lot of silo working um, and what came through there was, you know, how do we access support? So there are routes through, so there are referral routes, but they are not widely understood. Mm. Um, And so one of the key outcomes was could we potentially develop pathways to access resource um, that goes both ways. So that's also perhaps for carers and parents, but also for school staff. So mm. who are our service partners and what is the referral criteria? OK, as well. So to understand what the next step is to to seek some help and support for that individual.
1: Yes. Oh, yes, because um, I know people, you know, they want to do their very best to support children and families. And, you know, it's such a busy job as well that, you know, not not being sure about where to go for that information can be a barrier, can't it, to, to getting the help needed? Yes, it can, yeah. And so where where do you go next then, Sarah, with your, what happens next with your research? Well, we are taking a number of the outcomes
0: forward. When I say we are working with a, a large um, group of service providers and public health um, across two regions of the UK and between us we are taking Outcomes such as this, so how can we open access? How can we develop knowledge around um, migration, so contextual knowledge around migration and refugee trauma? And how can we best implement these outcomes really across services and including education? So we are looking to work together as a team to co produce an action plan for change. Um, that's the next stage of the research programme that starts in November. Um, and we'll run through till next April. So what we'll do is we will come together to work on outcomes that are doable. So Mm -hmm. considering cost, capacity, resource, it could be a small change, it could be networking service partners, on outcomes that are doable. So Mm -hmm. considering cost, capacity, resource, it could be a small change, it could be networking service partners, or introducing a new model of training um, with potentially a trauma-informed training that already exists, but how can we add on this contextual knowledge? So there are different ways of considering developments and moving things forward but certainly we'll be looking to consider in each of these areas so what their service system is so their capacity and resource currently and how we can embed some of these outcomes to create change
1: for service providers and parents children and youth in these areas and then we'll be monitoring the outcomes of that. That sounds fascinating. Um, I I know that I won't be alone in in wanting to hear what happens next. Is there any way that you could come back?
0: Yes, and, and yes, I'd be delighted.
1: Us. Yes, oh. I'd be delighted to come back and and share with you
0: how what worked and what didn't, and perhaps that then will will provide some some broad knowledge for other schools or education services to implement. So yes, be a pleasure.
1: Oh, thank you very much, Sarah, for your input today. It's been really interesting talking to you and look forward to our next podcast together. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Education Community Podcast brought to you by Bernardos. We hope to see you again soon.